Welcome to the GDPR Weekly Show, one of the top five GDPR podcasts worldwide. Here is what's coming up in this week's episode. Welcome to episode 185 of the GDPR Weekly Show. And coming up in this week's episode, we have the top 20 hacked passwords and how important it is that if you are using one of those passwords, you stop doing so because the number of cyber attack is currently very much on the increase. We then have news of a new wiper malware that's emerging from the Ukraine crisis. And then to Brussels, where the EU Parliament Committee is going to be holding a online investigation into GDPR enforcement across the EU. We then travel to Russia, where ransomware group Conti has been given a taste of its own medicine. We then go to the USA and to Washington State, where the Washington State licensing system has finally been restored after a data breach. Remaining in the USA, we have news that NVIDIA, the graphics card company, has now confirmed a data breach. And then to South Korea, where it appears that Samsung have had a data breach carried out by the Lapsus gang, who in fact are the same gang who carried out the data breach at NVIDIA. We then travel to Hong Kong where the Harbour Plaza has had a data breach, and then to West Virginia, where the Mongolia House Company has had a data breach. And we then travel to Greece, where the DPA has imposed a record fine on Cosmot and OTE for GDPR breaches. Then to Norway, where Grindr is appealing against the fine imposed by the Norwegian DPA. We then travel to Spain, where the Spanish DPA has imposed a €2 million Euro fine on a transport company because they weren't correctly recording when a driver applying for a job with them said they didn't have a criminal record. And then finally this week, because we are getting an increasing number of requests to carry out due diligence into companies where there's a takeover in process, then we look at what exactly do we look for when we're carrying out that due diligence process. So as always, a mixed bag of articles for you this week. We hope that you find the information in the articles useful and informative. We love receiving your feedback. So if you have any feedback for us, please do email us at feedback at gdprweeklyshow.com. We do read every single piece of feedback we receive, but unfortunately, due to the volume of feedback we receive, it's not possible for us to respond to each piece of feedback individually. Next week, we are going to bring you the first part of a fascinating interview we had with Debbie Reynolds. Some of you may be familiar with Debbie Reynolds, but for those of you who aren't, Debbie runs the Data Diva podcast in the USA. And we had a great conversation a few days ago, and we'll be bringing you the first part of that interview next week, with the remainder probably coming the week after, depending, of course, on other developments in the data security world. We are exhibiting a business revival, Excel Centre London, on 9th and 10th March. Stand 67. Come along and say hello. With all of the activity that's happening in Ukraine at the moment, and of course our thoughts are with the people of Ukraine, and we really sincerely hope that a peaceful end to the Russian invasion of Ukraine can be found soon. But it has highlighted concerns for everyone in the need to ensure that your antivirus and anti-malware software are kept up to date. And that is crucially important at the moment. We know that there are an increasing number of cyber attacks mainly coming from Russia, although it has to be said there are also some coming from Ukraine. 
But either way, it's really important that you make sure that your antivirus, anti-malware are up to date so you're protecting your data as much as you can. And also you're protecting other people because rather like COVID, if we have enough vaccinations, we can stop the spread. And if the majority of people have up-to-date anti-malware, antivirus software, that's going to slow down the spread of cyber attack too. But the other part of also slowing down cyber attacks is choosing a good password. And this week, there was a survey from Lookout, a firm offering security, privacy, identity theft solutions, of the 20 most common passwords found in leaked account information. So if yours is one of these, then for certain, please make sure that you do change your password. So ones which made the top 20 were 666666, I love you, Q-W-E-R-T-Y-U-O-I-P, which is just the top row of T's on the QWERTY keyboard, 123221 default 12345698901 q 2 one two three four five six seven eight nine, and the most common one was one two three four five six. We would certainly recommend that for passwords, whilst they shouldn't be so complicated that you need to write them down because that kind of defeats the purpose, you should look to make them at least eight characters long, include at least one number, at least one capital letter, as well as lowercase letters, and at least one special symbol, so something like an exclamation mark or an ampersand. And just doing that, that simple step, is one step towards just making that a little bit harder for cyber attacks to attack your data. So if you do nothing else from this week's episode, please do go and check your passwords. If they are simple, then change them to make them more difficult. Or use a password generator, which will generate passwords for you automatically. But either way, just improve your passwords. Thank you. You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden. Also in association with Ukraine, cybersecurity experts have identified a second so-called wiper cyber attack targeted at Ukraine. The warning from ESET Research Labs, a Slovakian-based cybersecurity firm, comes after it flagged an initial salvo on 23rd of February, which it had dubbed Hermetic Wiper. And indeed, we covered that in last week's episode of the GDP Public Show. Wiper attacks disabled computers, the most notorious example being the 2017 NotPetya attack attributed to Russia, which wreaked havoc across Ukraine and elsewhere by irretrievably encrypting computers. ESET said in a report on Tuesday that it now detected a second wiper attack against the Ukrainian governmental network, discovered on the day the offensive began on 24th of February, that it had named ISAC Wiper. It described it as way less sophisticated than Hermetic Wiper. However, ESA added in a blog post that it had uncovered a worm component, dubbed Hermetic Wizard, that could be used to spread the Hermetic Wiper in local networks. NotPetya went viral and caused damage in 65 countries. The total cost of the attack was estimated at $10 billion US dollars. Hermetic Wiper's initial impact was on hundreds of computers in at least five Ukrainian organisations and also hit computers in Latvia and Lithuania. ESET stresses that it has not pinned the blame for these attacks on any state or organisation yet. 
the Committee on Civil Liberties, Justice and Human Affairs from the European Parliament is going to be holding a public hearing into GDPR implementation, enforcement and the lessons learned on Thursday, the 17th of March 2021, between 9am and 12pm Central European Time. The event will also be broadcast online. It's intended that the meeting will be split into three sections. The first section, Panel 1, will be looking at exercising data subjects' rights, filing complaints, applicable national procedures, and access to data rights. So this panel will focus on the difficulties and challenges faced by non-institutional actors in the application of data protection framework and the use of their rights by data subjects, including in small, repetitive cases. It will draw upon best practices, lessons learned, the way forward with regard to exercising data subjects' rights. And it will have presentations from Ursula Paschal, Deputy Director General of the European Consumer Organization, Mitch Neva, Global Privacy Officer for Vodafone, and Sophie Jean Vespre, Deputy to the Head of Service for the Exercise of Rights and Complaints in the Directorate of the, for the Protection of Rights and Sanctions in the Commission Nationale de Informatique et de Liberties, otherwise better known as CNIL, the French DPA. That will be followed by a question and answer session with members of the committee. And then between 10 o'clock and 11 o'clock, there will be a second panel focusing on the enforcement scheme, which will have presentations and discussions that concentrate on the role and differences between the DPAs, best practices, challenges, lessons learned and ways forward. That panel will have presentations by the Spanish Data Protection Authority, Tobias Judin, head of the international section of the Norwegian Data Protection Authority, Gwendal Legrand, Head of Activity for Enforcement Support and Coordination at the European Data Protection Board, the EDPB, and Gloria Gonzalez-Fuster, Research Professor and Director of Law, Science and Technology Society Research Group. Then again, there'll be a second question and answer session. And then from 11 o'clock, there'll be Panel 3, which is looking at big cases and cross-border challenges. And this panel will focus on cross-border challenges, the one-stop shop mechanism, funding for bringing bigger cases, examples from concrete cases, envisaged solutions and a way forward. And it will have presentations for, by Matt Srems, the Honorary Chairman of the European Centre for Digital Rights. And if you're a regular listener to GDPR Weekly Show, you'll know that the name Matt Srems often drops up in episodes of our programme. Maria Madieska, PhD researcher at the European University Institute. And Anne Gallego, Director General of DG Just at the European Commission. And that again then will have a question and answer session. So it should be a really fascinating meeting. Now, so the intention is that it will be in the room and online. And details of how to view it online can be found on the European Parliament website. We will hope to view the hearing ourselves and we will report back to, to you after the hearing in a couple of weeks' time. Contact us on helpdesk at gdprweeklyshow.com. If you're a regular listener to the GDPR Weekly Show, then you might remember that back in episodes 157, 85, 55 and 11, we mentioned the Conti ransomware group. And indeed, of course, we mentioned them last week when we were looking at which ransomware groups had sided with which side in the war between Russia and Ukraine. Well, this week, it's fair to say that Conti got a taste of their own medicine. The leaks from Conti were posted online with rough Google Translate versions of the text in English. They amount to tens of thousands of messages taken from Conti's Java server. 
Recorded Future confirmed the authenticity of the leaks, which cover over a year's worth of internal communications from January 2021 until February 2022. While the group appears to have been under surveillance by researchers for some time, they decided to show their hand after Conti released an aggressively pro-Russian statement on Friday. If anyone will decide to organise a cyber attack or any war activities against Russia, we are going to use all our possible resources to strike back at the critical infrastructures of an enemy, Conti warned. Interestingly, since the details were leaked online, the group tried to backtrack with a new statement saying that we do not ally with any government and we condemn the ongoing war. However, it was too late by then. Although eagle-eyed researchers are still trawling through the logs, they're likely to be a treasure trove of intelligence for defenders and law enforcers keen to know more about Conti's members and operational processes. It also promises other revelations. Flashpoint's Vitaly Kremes pointed to one conversation in which the group appears to be planning financial support for Alavit, a Latvian woman indicted in the US for developing malware for the infamous TrickBot group. The pledge of $10,000 for illegal defence appears to show the strong ties between TrickBot and Conti. The incident shows deepening fault lines between different hacktivist groups, mainly brought about as a result of the conflict between Russia and Ukraine. We are exhibiting at Business Revival, Excel Centre London, on 9th and 10th March. Stand 67. Come along and say hello. To America now and to Olympia in Washington State. After being offline for more than a month following a massive data breach earlier this year, a website run by the State Department of Licensing that allows applicants to pursue professional and business licenses was back online on Tuesday this week. The absence of the state website spurred concerns from some that their personal information had been compromised and some ended up losing income as a result of the breach. At least 650,000 people who have current or former licences issued by the agency have been watching and waiting to find out if their information was compromised. State officials said it was possible that the personal information had been stolen. Data that could have been stolen included social security numbers, email addresses and dates of birth. Authorities said the data breach remains under investigation along with how it happened. Nathan Olson, spokesman for the agency, said authorities have been conducting a thorough investigation into what happened and froze activity on their online portal to ensure it was safe to reactivate. The site was reactivated on Tuesday this week, meaning licence holders can access it again for their professional needs. The agency did apologise to the people who may have been affected by the breach. We are sorry and we apologise, Olson said. It's a tough thing to balance as our first responsibility was the security and safety of the data. The agency is offering free credit monitoring for those affected by the data breach, adding that it does not affect drivers or virtual license systems. You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden. NVIDIA has confirmed that the Lapsus hacking group has successfully breached its systems and that previously unconfirmed reports that the group sold company data are true. The chipmaker debunked the rumours that ransomware was involved in the security incident and made it clear the hack was in no way related to the current conflict between Russia and Ukraine. NVIDIA previously stated it was investigating the incident but did not confirm if a hack had actually taken place. In a statement, NVIDIA said, On February 23, 2022, NVIDIA became aware of a cybersecurity incident which impacted IT resources. Shortly after discovering the incident, we further hardened our network, engaged cybersecurity incident response experts and notified law enforcement. 
We have no evidence of ransomware being deployed on the NVIDIA environment or that this is related to the Russia-Ukraine conflict. However, we are aware that the threat actor took employee credentials and some NVIDIA proprietary information from our system and has begun leaking it online. Our team is working to analyse that information. We do not anticipate any disruption to our business or our ability to serve our customers as a result of the incident. Security is a continuous process that we take very seriously at NVIDIA and we invest in the protection and quality of our code and products daily. The Lapsus Hacking Group has been providing regular candid updates on its operation via its Telegram channel and on Tuesday it posted download links for the first part of the one terabyte cache of documents it said it's stolen from NVIDIA. The most recent update, shared by the group, posted late on Tuesday evening with an additional requirement it wants NVIDIA to honour. We request that NVIDIA commits to completely open source and distribute under a FOSS licence their GPU drivers for Windows, Mac OS and Linux from now on and forever. Lapsus said that NVIDIA does not meet its latest demand. It will release the full set of files it has on the most recent and future models of the company's flagship graphics cards. The ultimatum presented to NVIDIA is to make the drivers for its graphics cards open source forever or lose access to the trade secrets that Lapsus says it has stolen from the company. The reason for the hack, Lapsus said, is to help the gaming and cryptocurrency mining community. One of the key technologies on which the group claims to have information is NVIDIA's light hash rate, a technology that aims to reduce a graphics card's ability to effectively mine cryptocurrency while preserving gaming performance. Lapsus said it holds source code and other files relating to LHR, but it won't release a bypass directly because they don't want to release anything that may break any card, but said any developer with a good brain can compile what we gave you in part one of the leak. It also said that it's ready to sell a piece of software that could bypass LHR, but they won't sell it cheaply. NVIDIA previously refused to comment on what type of data had been stolen or who was behind the hack. Lapsus is using a double extortion method of operation similar to the one that's become increasingly popular with ransomware gangs. It involves compromising a victim and stealing data before encrypting their machine, threatening to leak the data if ransom isn't paid. It aims to further encourage victims to pay the ransom when industry advice dictates to never pay. Europol recently said it observed an uptick in double extortion cases in the past year, and Mandiant said one in seven cases results in critical data being leaked. If we get any further update from NVIDIA, we will to bring it to you in a future episode of the GDPR Weekly Show. The Lapsus Hacking Group have certainly been busy, because as well as the breach with NVIDIA, which we've just covered in this previous article, they've also today leaked a huge selection of confidential data that they claim to be from Samsung Electronics, the South Korean giant consumer electronics company. The leak comes less than a week after Lapsus released the details from NVIDIA. In a note posted earlier today, the extortion game teased about releasing Samsung data with a snapshot of some C and C++ directives in Samsung software. Shortly after teasing their followers, Lapsus published a description of the upcoming leak, saying that it contains confidential Samsung source code originating from a breach. They say that they have source code for every trusted applet installed in Samsung's trust zone environment used for sensitive operations, for example, hardware, cryptography, binary encryption and access control. They claim to have the algorithms for all biometric unlock operations. They claim to have bootloader source code for all recent Samsung devices, confidential source code from Qualcomm, source code for Samsung's activation servers, and full source code for technology used for authorizing and authenticating Samsung accounts, including APIs and services. If the details are accurate, then Samsung has suffered a major data breach that could cause huge damage to the company. 
Laps have split the leaked data into three compressed files that add to almost 190 gigabytes of data and made them available in a torrent that appears to be highly popular, with more than 400 peers sharing the content. The extortion group also said it would deploy more servers to increase the download speed. Included in the torrent is also a brief description for the content available in each of the three archives. Part 1 contains a dump of source code and related data about security, defence, NOx, bootloader, trusted apps and various other items. Part 2 contains a dump of source code and related data about device security and encryption. And Part 3 contains various repositories from Samsung's GitHub, mobile defence engineering, Samsung accounts backends, Samsung's past backend and frontend, and SES. It's unclear if Laps has contacted Samsung for a ransom, as they have done for NVIDIA. We've contacted Samsung for a statement about the Lapsus data breach, but they've not come back to us at the time of the broadcast. Contact us on helpdesk at gdprweeklyshow.com. To Hong Kong now, and a hotel and an online retailer in the Hong Kong Special Administrative Region has recently suffered a data breach of their IT systems which affected information they held on over 1.2 million customers. According to a statement by the Office of the Privacy Commissioner for Personal Data in Hong Kong, Harbour Plaza Hotel Management Limited had over 1.2 million customers' data access in a cybersecurity attack in early February. Accordingly, the Office of the Privacy Commissioner for Personal Data started its investigation and requested Harbour Plaza to provide more information in relation to the incident, including the details of the incident and the types of personal data involved. Earlier in the month, Hong Kong Technology Venture Company Limited, HKTV, confirmed suspicious online activities in its computer systems, which were detected in late January, involving unauthorised access to a small portion of the data held by its online retail platform, HKTV Mail, on 4.38 million registered customers. Data access might include account registered names, encrypted login passwords, registered and contact email addresses, recipient names, delivery addresses and the contact numbers for those who bought products during December 2014 to September 2018, according to a statement by HKTV. The unauthorised access might also include registered information in relation to Facebook accounts or app IDs of customers who link those to their HKTV mail accounts. HKTV said it reported the incident to the authorities and would use endpoint detection and response solutions to monitor, identify, investigate suspicious activities via artificial intelligence. It also intends to obtain the Centre for Internet Security's Level 1 Benchmark of Cybersecurity Best Practice to reduce the risk of future attacks and to reduce the volume of data it collects on its customers. We are exhibiting a business revival, Excel Centre London, on 9th and 10th March. Stand 67. Come along and say hello. Returning to the USA now, and particularly to West Virginia. And Monongalia Health System Inc., including its affiliated hospitals, Monongalia County General Hospital Company, Stonewall Jackson Memorial Hospital Company, and Preston Memorial Hospital Corporation, known collectively as Mon Health, on December 30th, 2021, Mon Health determined that a data security incident resulted in unauthorized access to information pertaining to Mon Health patients, providers, employees, and contractors. Monhouse first learned of the incident on December 18, 2021, when it was alerted to unusual activity on its IT network, which disrupted the operations of some of Monhouse's IT systems. Upon learning of this to protect its patients and secure its systems, Monhouse immediately took a significant portion of its IT network and system offline and initiated downtime procedures. Monhouse also conducted an enterprise-wide password reset, 
implemented network hardening measures, notified law enforcement and launched a comprehensive investigation with the assistance of a third-party forensic firm. Monhouse investigation confirmed that the incident did not involve unauthorised access to Monhouse electronic house record systems. Through the investigation, Monhouse determined the unauthorised party's access to the IT network between December 8, 2021 and December 19, 2021. Monhouse investigation cannot rule out the possibility that while in its IT network, the unauthorised parties may have accessed files on IT systems that contain patient, provider, employee and contractor information. This information may have included the following... Names, addresses, social security numbers, Medicare, health, insurance, claim numbers, which could contain social security numbers, dates of birth, patient account numbers, health insurance plan member ID numbers, medical record numbers, dates of service, provider names, claims information, medical and clinical treatment information, and or status as a current or former Modern Health patient or member of Modern Health employee health plan. Beginning on February 28, 2022, Monhouse will mail notice letters to patients whose information may be involved in this incident. Monhouse recommends that patients remain vigilant by reviewing their financial account statements for any unauthorised activity. If patients identify charges or activity they didn't authorise, they should contact their financial institution immediately. Additionally, Monhouse encourages patients to review the statements they receive from their healthcare providers and health insurance plans. If patients see any services that were not received, they should contact the relevant provider or health plan immediately. Modern Health deeply regrets any inconvenience or concern this incident may cause. To help prevent something like this from happening again, Modern Health has implemented and will continue to adopt additional safeguards and technical security measures to further protect and monitor its systems. Modern Health has established a dedicated toll-free call centre to help answer questions from individuals in information may have been involved in this incident. If you have questions about this incident, please call Modern Health Incident Response Line at 855-568-2163, Monday to Friday, between 9am to 6.30pm Eastern Time. You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden. To Greece now, and on January 31st, Greece's Data Protection Authority, the Hellenic Data Protection Authority, fined Cosmos and OTE 9.25 million euros for multiple violations of GDPR. OTE Group, which belongs to Deutsche Telekom, is the largest telecommunications conglomerate in Greece. In sum, these fines are the highest ever imposed by the Greek DPA. The fines were the outcome of an investigation by the Greek DPA on a major data breach that occurred in 2020 after a successful cyber attack on the group's information systems. The breach, which was notified to the DPA in time, affected more than 10 million OTE group and non-OTE group subscribers and concerned large sets of personal data per subscriber, including financial and telecommunications traffic data. The leaked databases were processed by Cosmark for network fault management and general data analytic purposes. The HCPA examined both the data breach and the lawfulness of the data processing in question. Regarding the affected telecommunications data, the DPA ruled that the processing for network fault management purposes was lawfully based on Cosmoc fulfilling for its subscriber contracts since the maintenance of network faults is necessary to provide quality services by the company. Yet, such processing would only be permissible on the condition that a limited subset of traffic data be processed to the extent and for the time required to identify specific technical faults or specific errors, whereas the retention of all traffic data for three months could not be justified. The EPA decided the traffic data used for this purpose was not proportionate to the degree of the fault, 
and time needed for its removal. Thus, it ruled that in the relevant data processing violated the data minimization and storage limitation principles of GDPR and the provisions of Article 6 of the Greek Key Privacy Law 3471-2006. Further, the DPA investigated Cosmot's data protection impact assessment and decided it was not sufficiently substantiated on the grounds that not all risks were appropriately examined and conclusions were not adequately justified. The DPA ruled that Cosmot failed to give adequate notice to data subjects regarding the network fault management purpose and duration of the processing. Regarding the data processing by Cosmot for data analytic purposes, the DPA ruled such purpose could have also been pursued using anonymized data. Following the claim by Cosmot that it was indeed anonymized, the DPA found the data in question constituted enriched data sets that were pseudomized rather than anonymized. In addition, the extraction of statistics from the pseudomized database was considered a further purpose of processing, which may be compatible with the original purposes, but subject to the initial article 89 of GDPR. However, no notice was given to data subjects about such processing. Therefore, the DPA ruled that data subjects were not adequately informed about the relevant processing and were also inaccurately given notice that the data had been processed in anonymized form. The DPA reviewed the data security measures implemented by OCE and Cosmot on the affected databases and now identified six significant vulnerabilities in their level of security. It also found that OTE and Cosmot did not have procedures to regularly test, assess and evaluate the effectiveness of their measures in order to ensure the security of the processing. Finally, the DPA concluded that the security measures were taken jointly by Cosmot and OTE without any specific data processing agreement between them. In view of this, the DPA considered this practice of the two companies violates the principle of accountability and in particular the principles of integrity and confidentiality. Taking its findings into account, the DPA issued decision number 4 of 2022, ruling that the following violations of GDPR and the Greedy Privacy Law 3471-2006 have taken place by Cosmot and OTE. Violation by Cosmot of the data minimization and storage limitation principles of GDPR and the provisions of Article 5 through 6 of the Greedy Privacy Law 3471-2006 due to unlawful processing of telecommunications traffic for network fault management purposes. Violation by Cosmart of the Principle of Transparency, Articles 5, Paragraph 1, Subparagraph A, and 13 to 14 of GDPR, due to inaccurate and incomplete information to subscribers about the posting of their data for network fault management and data analytic purposes. Infringement by Cosmart of Article 35, Paragraph 7 of GDPR, due to inadequacy of the Content Data Protection Impact Assessment. Infringement by Cosmart of Article 25, Paragraph 1 of GDPR due to inadequate implementation of the anonymization procedure, infringement by OTE of Article 12, Paragraph 1 of Greedy Privacy Law 3471-2006 due to inadequate security measures, infringement by Cosmart and OTE of Article 5, Paragraph 2 in conjunction with Articles 26 and 28 of GDPR due to the failure to allocate the roles of the two companies as joint controllers in relation to processing in question, infringement by OTE of Article 32 of GDPR due to the adequate security measures in relation to infrastructure used in the context of the incident. If we get any update from OTE, we will bring it to you in the next available episode of the GDPR Witch Show. Back in episode 175, we brought in news of the Norwegian DPA issuing a fine against gay dating service Grindr, where it emerged this week that Grindr plans to file an appeal for the fine later this month. To do a bit of history, Norway found that Grindr had illegally disclosed user data to advertisers, but the company says it has been singled out for widely used practices. 
The DPA said it would find Rwanda 65 million Norwegian crowns, around 7 million US dollars, for violating data protection laws. That was reduced from a prior plan to find the company 100 million crowns, as Reuters reported, because the government said the company was working to address the problems. In a draft of its appeal, Grindr argues that it understands the importance of protecting customer privacy and is doing so. Grindr believes that the administrative fine reflects incorrect interpretations of GDPR and Norwegian law and appears to want to hold Grindr, a relatively small player for a much larger ecosystem, responsible for industry-wide practices, notwithstanding that Grindr has maintained and continues to advance its strong compliance practices, the company argues. We will obviously be following this here on the GDPR Witcher Show, and we'll bring you an update when the appeal hearing takes place. We are exhibiting at Business Revival, Excel Centre London, on 9th and 10th March. Stand 67. Come along and say hello. To Spain now, and an interesting ruling as to whether the declaration of absence of criminal records is personally identifiable information. It was common ground between the company involved and the Spanish DPA that if someone had a criminal record and recording details of their crimes was personally identifiable information. But the company in question had not regarded the situation where someone had completed a declaration saying they didn't have any criminal record to declare, that that was personally identifiable information. The Spanish Data Protection Agency, the AEPD, ruled against them and imposed a €2 million fine. So it's obviously something to be taken seriously. Now, it should be borne in mind that in Spain, as well as GDPR, there's a Spanish Organic Law 3 of 2018 on personal data protection and digital rights guarantees, commonly known by the acronym LOPDGDD. And that works alongside GDPR in issues such as this. So in this case, the APD imposed a €2 million fine and an order to discontinue declared infringement and erase the concerned data to a transport company for requesting its freelance carriers to provide their certificate of absence of criminal records as a contractual requirement. I think it has important implications, so if you are asking people for their criminal record and they say they haven't got one, then do bear in mind that that fact they haven't got one has to now be recorded as personally identifiable information, and just like a criminal record, that actually falls under the special category of personally identifiable information, so you have to take all the extra controls as you would with any other special category data. Now, it should be borne in mind that the reason that the Spanish DPA came to this conclusion was because in Spain there are very few professions where you have to, by law, declare whether you have a criminal record. Examples would be taxi drivers, people dealing with children, or employees in some casinos. But because there wasn't a law that said that lorry drivers and van drivers had to declare if they had a criminal record or not, then the Spanish DPA ruled that by having a nil return on that data for someone was personally identifiable information. So I think what I'm going to say in conclusion on this is please do play safe. If you do ask your employees whether they have a criminal record or not, and they've said no, and you've recorded that information somewhere. And remember, that might not be recorded on a computer system. That might just be that they've ticked that box on their job application form, which you've got filed away in a filing cabinet somewhere. Then please make sure that you include that when you're listing out what information you regard as being special category data. If you need any help with this, then please do, of course, as always, get in touch with us. One service which we're always very pleased to provide is giving due diligence appraisals 
when one organization is looking to buy or merge with another. So when we do that process, then what sort of things are we looking for? Well, it really falls down into several categories. If we look first at mandatory records and documentation for legal basis, then we'll be looking for things like, are there mandatory Article 30 records of processing, including an overview of the categories of personal data collected and processed by the company that's being acquired, retention policies, description of recipients of personal data, any third country transfers, any sub-processors, etc. We will also look at consent management procedures, including procedures for ensuring adequate documentation and handling of consent withdrawal. We'll look at an overview of all the processing activities based on consent and a copy of all the relevant consent forms. And we'll look at an employee model contracts regarding the process of employees' personal data. In terms of data security, we'll often carry out things like penetration testing, but we'll also look at an overview of all the technical and organisational security measures, what data breach policies there are, and of course we'll look at the data breach register for the past five years. The data processing impact assessments, are they up to date? Do they cover everything that they should? The details of any monitoring of emails, telephone, internet and social media use. And the details about procedures for tracking employees, whether that's GPS tracking, time and attendance systems, and the use of camera surveillance. In terms of data subjects rights, we look at the internal and external privacy policies, or other policies or notices used to inform data subjects about the posting of their personal data in accordance with Articles 13 and 14 of GDPR. We'll look at the details about the procedures in place to comply with Articles 12 to 22 of GDPR. And we'll look at an overview of data subject requests, claims or expected claims from data subjects for the past three years. We'll also look, of course, to see whether the DPA has carried out any investigations into the company over the past five years and whether there are any outstanding criminal actions or uh, any outstanding ICO investigations if it's here in the UK. We also assess the overall GDPR training for employees. Has it been carried out to the required standard? Has it been carried out every year? We also, of course, if there is a DPO in place, liaise with the DPOs there to find out what they do and do they understand their role correctly. And then we'll also, in terms of disclosure of personal data, look at an overview of any joint controllers and copy of any joint data controller agreements, an overview of data processors and copies of all the data processor agreements, and very importantly these days, an overview of any transfer of personal data outside of the UK, whether that's to the EEA or further afield, and the legal basis for the transfer, including copies of any standard contractual clauses, transfer impact assessments, binding corporate rules, etc., and an overview of the latest data processes audit, including any general audit management policies, i.e. is the company actually auditing its data processes on any kind of regular basis. So there are all the sorts of things we look at. So if you are in a situation where you are acquiring a business or thinking of acquiring a business, then please do get in touch with us here at Insurity because we would love to get involved and help you with the acquisition process and give you peace of mind that what you're acquiring is not a big data management headache. If you need any help with this, then please do, of course, as always, get in touch with us and the details for how you can do that are coming up right now. Contact us on helpdesk at gdprweeklyshow.com. The GDPR Weekly Show is an insurance production. Until next time, bye-bye.